Our Voices Project acknowledges and honors that the lands we live, love, grow, work, and learn on are the ancestral homelands of the people of the Onondaga or the Seneca, one of the six nations of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, along with the Cayuga, who call themselves the Gayukono, the Onondaga, who call themselves the Onondaga, the Oneida, who call themselves Onyutica, the Mohawk, who call themselves Genegahaga, and the Tuscarora, who call themselves Garure. We acknowledge that our society was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many indigenous peoples through centuries of genocide and forced separation from family, culture, language, and from land, spirit, and mind. We acknowledge this violent history of seizure and displacement that allows us to be on this land, not only as a recognition, but as a motivation for change. As filmmakers, we are committed to working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of settler colonialism through truth-telling. We invite you to join us in enacting justice by taking such steps as committing to making a recurring monthly donation to a Native-led organization, such as to Ganondagon State Historic Site in Victor, New York, and or Native Made in Rochester, New York. Visit these organizations and find out how you can volunteer your time and help support Native-led initiatives. Find out how Indigenous peoples are represented in your local school district's curricula and advocate for the historical truth-telling of ancestral land dispossession and genocide and the acknowledgement and celebration of Indigenous contributions, past and present. Learn about the murdered and missing Indigenous women movement created to advocate for the end of violence against Native women and to bring awareness to the high rates of disappearances and murders of Native people, particularly women and girls. Learn how you can help. Help work towards truth, healing, and justice for the Indian boarding school impacts by contributing to the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Representation in Cinema. Our Voices Project is a production company committed to providing a safe space and platform for Black, Brown, and Indigenous peoples to share experiences while dismantling destructive stereotypes perpetuated in the media through visual storytelling and truth-telling. In this podcast, we talk about the many ways in which Black, Brown, and Indigenous peoples are portrayed in films. We address the things that we love seeing, the tropes and stereotypes that Hollywood continues to perpetuate on screen, and what representation we'd like to see moving forward. Welcome to Representation in Cinema, where tonight we will be discussing Fry Bread Face and Me. We have with us tonight three guests. The first is Angelina Hilton. Welcome, Angelina. Thank you. Angelina is an enrolled member of the Sac and Fox Nation of Missouri in Kansas and Nebraska, a devoted wife and mother, an emerging artist, and the visionary behind Native Maid. At its core, Native Maid exists to increase Indigenous visibility. Her initiative offers marketing and other services for Indigenous entrepreneurs. Angelina is on the Indigenous Advisory Subcommittee for Indigenous People's Day Committee and a volunteer with the Indigenous Health Coalition with Common Ground. She values family involvement and balances work with passions like photography and writing. Angelina's journey embodies cultural ties, family, commitment, and advocacy. As a wife, mother, artist, and activist, she inspires inclusivity and positive change. Discover more at nativemadehq.com and connect at nativemadehq at gmail.com. We also have Maureen Connell. Welcome, Maureen. Hello. Maureen is an indigenous Mexican and Spanish and is part of the LGBTQIA plus community. She was born in Mexico City, Mexico, and moved to Rochester, New York when she was seven years old. Maureen earned a master's degree in clinical psychology while living in Seattle, Washington, where she practiced mental health therapy. She also practiced in Barrow, Alaska and Lake Havasu, Arizona, before returning to Rochester, New York in 2016, where she worked as a dual diagnosis therapist at Evelyn Brandon with a focus on women and trauma. However, after years of working for clinics that did not address Indigenous Native American health care in a holistic way, 
In 2017, Maureen stepped away from clinical work with a personal desire to help raise awareness of the inequities. In 2021, along with Casey Magaris, Maureen started the first Indigenous Native American Employee Resource Group at Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield. She is also a member of the steering committee of the Indigenous Health Coalition through Common Ground Health Initiative. Casey Magaris is also with us. Welcome, Casey. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Casey has worked in the healthcare and insurance fields for over 20 years. Along with Maureen Connell, Casey created the Indigenous Employee Resource Group with, group with Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield. She is a member of the steering committee of the Indigenous Health Coalition through Common Ground Health Initiative and a staunch advocate for health equity among the Haudenosaunee. Casey is an enrolled member of the Akwesasne Mohawk Tribe and a proud descendant of residential school survivors. In her free time, Casey enjoys time with family, beadworking, and crafting. So welcome, all three of you. I'm very happy to have you around the table tonight and really excited to discuss Fry Bread Face and Me. So to get us started, I wanted to give a brief synopsis of the film. Fry Bread Face and Me is a 2023 American coming-of-age drama film written and directed by Billy Luther. It follows the story of a young boy named Benny who comes from San Diego to spend the summer with his Navajo or Diné grandmother on her reservation in Arizona. There he meets and bonds with his cousin Fry Bread Face, and the film explores their family's legacy and their personalities as they try to make sense of the world around them and the people that they may become. A fun fact about the film is that the entire cast is native, and actually the only person who isn't Diné is Martin Sensmeyer, who plays Uncle Marvin, and he is in fact Alaskan native. And here's a quote by the director that I found very compelling. That scene where they're all in the trailer together bouncing off each other and teasing each other, was an amazing thing for me to witness. The camera people had set up the lighting, and then once I looked in the frame, I saw eight Native Americans while I was directing. It really hit me in that moment that this is rare. It was emotional because little did I know that one day I'd be filming eight Natives in one room with a movie I was making. Fry Bread Face and Me had its world premiere at South by Southwest on March 11, 2023. It's screened at the 2023 Toronto International Film Festival in the Discovery section on September 11, 2023. In November 2023, Ava DuVernay's production banner, Array, acquired distribution rights to the film in the United States, United Kingdom, and Ireland. On November 24, 2023, the film received a limited theatrical release alongside a Netflix release. And with that, I really wanted to open things up for us by saying another quote by the director. He felt that this could be a story and it isn't just my story. I've been on the festival circuit and many indigenous and non-natives have said, oh my God, it reminds me of home and my experience of being disconnected from a culture and community. And I wanted to open our conversation by asking each of you how this film and the exploration of its many themes, which we will delve into, resonate with each of you. you Angelina, would you like to go first? <laughs> I can see your face and I, <laughs> I want to allow you the time to go ahead and tell us how you're feeling. Well, I might need tissues Aww. already. Um, I've watched the movie three times. Um, I grew up off territory. My reservation is in Reserve, Kansas, 1,300 miles away. And it reminded me of going home because we moved up here uh, 
in upstate New York when I was four, almost five, and we would travel back to reserve almost twice a year to visit my grandmother, my brother, other family members. And I watched it three times. I watched it by myself. And I was glad I had that opportunity because it helped. It gave me an opportunity to reflect back on those times when I would go home and visit with family. Um, then I watched it. I wanted my husband to watch it with me. My husband is white, and he his first experience with the reservation was as an adult and traveling back with me. Um, and then I watched it with my mother. And at the end of the show, I looked over and I saw my mother crying. And she couldn't explain to me at that moment why she was crying, but I knew. I knew. And she had shared with me that it reminded her of the times that she would spend with her grandmother and her grandfather and how much that she had wished that she had paid more attention to be able to pass down the things that she was taught. That's all for now. Oh, thank you, Angelina. Thank you. Casey, did you want to comment? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I had a very unique experience. I grew up on reserve to start my life, um, but it wasn't my reserve. So I am a member of the St. Regis Mohawk. My reserve is Akazasne, it's near Hogansburg, New York. But I grew up on the Tuscarora Reserve, which is still part of the Haudenosaunee. Um, and I had a lot of great experiences on reserve, but then when I was in fourth grade, we moved uh, to the city. So I think that would, what really resonated with me was Benny's journey and having that, like, um, oh, you can see Shamu anytime you want. Like there was a lot that he gained from living off territory, but so much more lost in that time with his family. So I, I felt that deeply. Thank you. And Maureen. Um, I think what resonated with me was really just the the feeling of not belonging to any certain place. Because growing up in Mexico, um, I was adopted by a Caucasian family. So there was always a disconnect of, you know, you look like somebody else already. And then when I was seven and moved to Rochester, it like happened all over again, but um, with the loss of culture. So... Like Angelina, I'm going to need the tissues already. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this always resonated with me, just a sense of belonging. And this movie captured it perfectly. Well, if you start crying, I'm going to start crying. Please don't. <laughs> the tissues that we're all crying, actually. So thank you for all, thank you. all of you for sharing such personal, um, personal reflection. It is a very... Um, personal, um, personally driven movie by the director who in several articles that I researched was questioned several times if this was a, um, autobiographical film and, and in several different, um, articles, he did mention that, no, it's not autobiographical, but finally he does say, okay, yes, you know, there are many, many parts of this film where I did explore, um, in summary, growing up, um, 
queer and indigenous and also the impacts of his family dynamics. Um, uh, and so as we start digging into how he chooses to bring forth all of those themes, and we start thinking about the ways that he um, looks into the complexity of growing up indigenous and queer. Um, in an interview with the Queer Review, he stated that in Navajo culture, the male and female are balanced. And in the past, our gay people were thought of as holy people. Then, of course, Western ideas of religion changed that. We don't hit directly on those things in the film. We don't say, hey, this kid is gay because at 11 you don't necessarily know yet. So I didn't want to shape him into a gay or queer character. But it's there, and I think people who watch it will see it as a piece of the puzzle. And so I'm asking if any of you would like to speak to the balance of male and female in Native culture and how this relates to the film and how it plays out in the film. Maureen. I I, oh, go ahead, Casey. Oh, sorry, Mom, nope, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I I really enjoyed Benny as a character, and I, I appreciate that he recognized that at 11 you don't really know, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the factors that made Benny who he is as a person were so um, disturbing to his Uncle Marvin, and I feel like that really was... Um, relevant as far as colonization right it really shows that how our old ways were really taken from us and that benny was more aligned and in um i don't know the Diné word i don't remember the Diné word from watching it but in balance and harmony like benny was more in that than a lot of his family yeah the the host hall was the word Hotel, yes mm -hmm. I um, I definitely see the parallels, and I'm fairly new at um, with my knowledge about Two Spirit, and also how Two Spirit represents in Mexican Indigenous culture, because it's it's also there. Um, and with colonization, you know, both you know South American and North American Indigenous people lost that piece of them, and I think um, there's always that struggle with balancing. Um, indigenous ways with colonization ways and how the patriarchy just kind of overarches more in a colonization point of view. And, and I think that took away a lot of the richness of the indigenous culture because of it. So as far as the balance between uh, men and women in indigenous culture, um, I, we didn't really have many male presence. I mean, I had my older brother who played a significant part in my life and I have a younger brother. Um, but my, my biological father is full Italian and a lot of the words and attitudes, what uncle Marvin had towards me, like when a lot of those scenes were playing out, I could feel like the little girl inside of me get, um, very uncomfortable, scared, anxious, um, just super uncomfortable. But then it, it I recognize it because of Western culture. But when I look at indigenous women specifically, the women in my life are incredibly strong and powerful and compassionate and loving and accepting of everybody. Um, 
And as I'm on my journey learning and ex- and being exposed and building relationships with other individuals from different nations, and I'm learning about different cultures, like specifically up here in the Haudenosaunee women and how um, it was the women who decided who the chiefs are and that there was just this balance of responsibility and this mutual level of respect. And, and but also like these men who honor their women <laughs> so much. It just it is just a complete shift of perspective for me as an adult. And I didn't have any of that growing up. So this is like you mean a lot of this stuff is new to me, too, like two spirit and whatnot. But I I grew up with women who just were accepting and loving of everybody. And we do, we do see that. Can I? Go ahead, sorry, I just wanted to add on to that. Like you made some really great points, Angelina. And I, um, I struggle like as a Haudenosaunee woman. And so I'm the oldest daughter. I'm the matriarch of my family because my mom's gone. And that gender role has followed me to the point where it's, it's hard to have relationships outside of my culture to understand that, right? To understand that as a woman, as a matriarch, I have responsibilities, but I'm also to be revered and loved in a certain way. So that's led to some challenges in my life. And I think that that's, you just made some great points. Sorry, I just jumped right in. I'm, I go off script. Don't mind me. No, it's, that's, that's a great thing. Casey, do you, do you actually want to say more about that? The floor is yours. Oh, sure. I mean, about, um, so I also married a Caucasian man and that just didn't work out because he was, he had a very colonial mindset and he didn't understand my responsibilities to my family. And, um, it got to the point where those cultural differences just didn't allow us to be compatible. Um, but I recognize that and I understand like that my responsibility to my family and my siblings and the next generations is just far more important than anything else to me as a woman in my culture, in my family. I think I can bounce off that too. When I look at the history of my family, it's like it, my grandma helped raise me. My great grandma helped raise my mother. And so it is, I once was told that I had an unhealthy relationship with my mother, but in a way, like, because it's like when you, in, in dominant culture, you move, move out of your house, you graduate high school, you go off to college, you meet your significant other, you get married, you move in together, you have children and that's that. And then you don't go back home, but that isn't how. I mean, I was raised with that mentality, but that wasn't what I saw in our history, especially going back home. And then as a, and as a young child growing up and the influence that my grandmother had on me and then the influence that my, gra- my grandparents had on my mother. And now I'm seeing the influence that my mom is having on my children. And yes, my mother is helping me. So is my older sister to help raise my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we do... In- and in this film, too, this is a, a perfect lead-in to start talking about Benny's aunts and uncles. Um, in particular, we see Aunt Lucy and we see Uncle Marvin. And I wanted to kind of throw out there what you think that represents to Benny. How, how, what do they represent to Benny? And on the broader scale, too, they're sort of these archetype characters, almost. Um, so what are your thoughts? We started talking about Uncle Marvin. Um 
What do you think about Uncle Marvin? I really like him. I think um, they tried to have Uncle Marvin a nappy, I think, a likable person at first. But then you get to know him, and you get to know his history and, and how much he really loved his family and and how he stayed, you know, with his grandma and um, and didn't leave. You know, we don't really know what happened to Uncle Marvin at the end. But I think um, that when he lost uh, Reba, I think him and Benny really bonded together. And uh, I think Benny was able to see the vulnerability of Marvin um, because he was he fought so hard to keep that vulnerability away. And, uh, and Lucy, I really like Lucy's character. She's just so uh, free and um, just, you know, loved her culture and, and was really kind of wanting to stay connected to her family, but also was struggling with, you know, wanting to be in the urban and in the city. And, and I think it just kind of brought Benny um, both of those sides, you know, like you have the ability to be both of these things and still stay connected with your family, but also be able to explore too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, those are good points. And I, I'm going to actually up the ante a little bit because both of their characters, before I, I continue to, a, to ask you guys to speak on this, but the film does explore these complex and contemporary indigenous thematic structures and tropes, right? So if we're going to talk about Lucy and Marvin, I feel like maybe this question goes hand in hand. So what happens to indigenous people who choose to leave the res or those that stay for that matter? So is happiness possible in either situation? And what does that happiness look like? Why is an uncle like Marvin so angry on the res? And how does an aunt like Lucy d- decide to return the big city right so those are some of the other thoughts about what they represent on a larger scale um not just to benny but to their mother to each other to the reservation to the culture well you were mentioning earlier oh go ahead casey oh no i was i was i don't know I don't know. Uncle Marvin was a really great character for me. Like, I, I understood him a bit because he took his responsibility to his family very seriously and he respected Benny's mom so much because of how much she helped out being the oldest daughter, right? Like, like I feel like Uncle Marvin is my brother mm-hmm. and he loves his aunt, but he doesn't, or loves his sister, but he doesn't know how to express that from generational trauma. Like, he doesn't know how to show Benny that he loves Benny without being mean or cold, I guess. In his mind, I feel like he's trying to help Benny become a man and not a healthy way, but I feel like that's what his true intent was because he loves his sister, so he wants his nephew to be a socially acceptable man. Yeah, and perhaps that was the way his older brother taught him because uh, there's a reference in the film that his older brother was also a bull rider mm-hmm. and he was compared to his older brother when he was bull riding and and of course later on we learn that his older brother is the one that's in prison um, oh that scene when Uncle Marvin blew up like I felt him like he's like he disgraced our family and yeah. that that got me choked up when he got so upset yeah. really like he was somebody that he looked up to and yeah yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Angelina. 
You were mentioning earlier about the director stating like he had eight indigenous people all in one room and they were bouncing off each other. And I mean, you had more you know, aunts and uncles in there and just that just mm-hmm. that just reminded me of going home and just sitting around with everybody. My brother, my sister, my grandma, my, my even my great aunt. <laughs> like, right. It just and, and Casey is right. I think that there is a lot of trauma and he just he showed his love the way that he knew how. Um, and you know, he did stay, so it's not like he got exposed. So you can feel like there's, there's a lot of heartache, a lot of resentment, but also, you know, there is love. Um, Aunt Lucy reminds me a lot of myself back Mm -hmm. and forth, you know, looking out after, you know, being the one to show up, to pick up the kids. You know, I remember taking my auntie, um, on a Greyhound bus back to reserve, you know, and we had that quality time together. Granted, she was much, much older, and at the time she was struggling with some mental health issues, but it just, it 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 felt like home. Yeah, thank you. Can I, I'm, I'm so sorry, it's a totally tangent too, um, but I'd like to talk about a little bit the duality between Uncle Marvin and Aunt Lucy, right? Like, I feel like it reflects a lot of the birthing order in their family. Like, I would guarantee that Aunt Lucy is a baby. Like, before they even went through, who is? Because the older siblings, Benny's mom, the oldest daughter, Uncle Marvin, the one in jail, like, they, in my opinion, in my experience anyways, I guess, sheltered her from a lot of that generational trauma so she was able to be more free and more Danae and more who she wanted to be as opposed to who she could have been should she have been exposed to as much generational trauma and that I could just be projecting my own family and because my sister is way freer than all of us like that's she she was a very celebratory figure for the kids um and she was grounded in her culture. We, we see her when she's home and she's definitely participating with the family and engaged and, you know, reminding Dawn, you know, fried bread face that she is beautiful. And she does the, uh, the beaded jewelry. She sells the jewelry. And even when she starts talking about what it would mean to move, like if I moved to the city and opened my salon, she, uh, she has the word for, um, beauty in Danae um and she's like maybe that'll be the name of my salon right so she she does have a it appears in the film she has a good sense of groundedness between knowing who she is as a Danae woman but still having these dreams of um pursuing a life outside of that like I think at one point she it was it was it her that mentioned how um, Marvin would be the last one to tend to the sheep, like that would be it. There would be no one else. Um, so there's that. That that is interesting, Casey, that you would bring that up compared to her siblings, you know. But then we have Sharon too. So Sharon shows up with the baby and her husband, and she seems completely, almost sort of like, yeah, I'll come back, and this is this is who I am, and these are my people. But like at the same time. I got my other stuff. I got my other life going on and almost sort of removed from the family in a way. So all the siblings seem to have sort of reacted in a, in a different way. 
We didn't learn much about Frybreadface's mother, other than she just dropped her off and yep. went out. And so she's, you know, there's also mm-hmm. in it. And so when you look, think about all the family dynamics, they're like coming and going, and mm-hmm. just everybody seems a little lost. And yeah, well, she's not yeah. the sibling, right? She's would be like the in-law, right? Because the, the dad's in jail, and the dad's mm-hmm. the one that's the brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even so, they do make comment about commentary about the mother doing this often so there is a lot there's there's a lot the, the complex dynamics I mean even in the beginning of the film they talk about the dysfunctional family right and then they kind of go into uh go into it from there and show us the dysfunction or, or the so-called dysfunction um which might actually be a little universal when we think about it um yeah and that's uh so producer Chris over here um just I when you were talking about the you know the oldest middle younger too like how that you know it can tie to all those responsibilities and you know I grew up the oldest and my youngest brother was the free one he he never felt the same responsibility you know to to the family to the other things I you know you feel that differently when you're younger too you can you feel that so viscerally and you feel jealous of that you feel all those things but you know we had a you know, small family business and that responsibility of family was so paramount to us. And I know I, that always struck me too, that oldest, middle, youngest, the middle is the connector, the younger is the free one, the oldest feels that weight on them and going back. Because we should know better, right? We're right. the oldest, we should know better. I've heard that a million times. Right. And <laughs> the it, oldest ones are, the, are like quote unquote, like the most messed up because parents don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I practice on us. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, there, there's something, there's something about that, that when you're talking about that coming home, you know, and that coming home and feeling together, but separate. And that, that's, that struck me. And that's how I feel often going home is I feel together, but I'm separate. I live such a different life than I grew up in. And I don't have the cultural separation you know, the, you know, the disconnection from my, from my heritage, but that still strikes me so hard that when you go home, you're never, you can't be the same because you are away, you are different. Mm-hmm. And it uh, just kind of struck me. I just appreciate everybody sharing about that. It means, yeah, it means a lot, you know. Thanks, Chris. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think on that, I think we'll take a quick break and we'll come back for the second half of our discussion and we'll be right back. Welcome back to our discussion on fry bread face and me. So now we are going to turn our discussion to language and culture. As of 2019, there were 170,000 Navajo speakers making it the most spoken Native American language in the U.S., Dine language is central to the film. Grandmother talks to Benny in Navajo exclusively, and to accentuate how little he understands what he, she's saying, the movie doesn't provide subtitles when Grandmother speaks to him. So I just wanted to ask, what are your thoughts around indigenous language revitalization and preservation? This is a great question, Courtney. Um, I actually had an opposite experience of Benny. Uh, my grandfather went to Mohawk Day School, and his father went to Thomas Indian Residential. So he uh, approached 
us with a very different, and I think this is why Uncle Marvin really touched base with me in, in the last set of questions, is when I asked my grandfather at eight years old to teach me Mohawk, because he didn't learn English until first grade uh, when he went to school. So I asked him, Grandpa, I want to learn Mohawk. I don't want to learn Tuscarora. I want to learn Mohawk. And he told me verbatim, you will not get anywhere in the white man's world speaking your language. I'm not teaching you. If you want to learn anything, go ask grandma. She'll teach you more or Tuscarora. And that was like a core memory for me, right? So now as an adult, I'm actively learning Mohawk and trying to work it out. But I wanted to know from my grandfather. Yeah. Like he's the one I wanted to learn from. So I strongly feel that language preservation is important. I don't want to learn Mohawk just for language preservation. I want to learn Mohawk so I can express myself in my my language, my ancestors. Like I hear him speaking, it's just the most beautiful thing to my ears. It makes me feel comforted and at home and I want to learn it for me. Thank you, Casey. That's beautiful. So my grandmother went to Haskell Residential School. She was sent there. This is what I've learned from my mother. And I, I just, I didn't even know about residential schools. And I mean, I, I visited Haskell, but I just thought it was another, it was like, it, now it's Haskell University and it is native focused and about preservation. Whereas before it was about assimilation and that's when my grandmother went. But she went after my great grandfather married um, her Caucasian uh, stepmother. And at that time, um, I think that that was when when the two got married, and I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's been told to me that she was shipped out there. But as people would call the survivors, I think my mother, when she shares, she would call my grandma a thriver, where it was like her saving grace, like her place to get away from a potentially abusive home. Um, you know, she could learn new things and. But the, the strange thing is, is that my great-grandfather helped raise my mother and made, had my mother go do powwows and um, you know, husk corn and roll the corn and dry out the corn and try to pass things down to her. Whereas my grandmother, my mom would call her a free spirit. You know, she just, she wanted to get out there. She wanted to travel. She wanted to do all these things. So... My mother, she she also said that she didn't she didn't like going to power. She was like, I, I was young. I had to wear these buckskin dresses. It was in the middle of August. I was forced to do this. I didn't want to do this. And so that's why she cut it off. Whereas my grandmother, you know, if she was sent to a residential school where they were teaching, you know, um, sewing and cooking and English, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what she was excited about. And so... Everything got cut off. Um, and I remember seeing my great-grandma. She's not wrong. That buckskin in August is no joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, her dresses are now in like a little case in a, in a tiny itty-bitty museum about the size of this room um, out in reserve. Oh, yeah. It's uh, beautiful, but it does not breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so nothing was passed down to me. And when we would go back to the reservation, 
you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was just visiting family. I didn't, and and it's not like we, I'd never been to a powwow up until last year. And it just, I'm mad. I am sad. Oh, girl, we got to get together. I, we'll go powwow. Um, <laughs> Good time. Well, yeah. you, you know, but no buckskin. And, mm-hmm. and my mom would tell me when I was younger, too, she's like, if you want to, if you want to pe- keep be still be Indian, you got to marry an Indian man and have Indian babies like to keep passing or else your kids won't be. And so my children are not on a roll, but yet they have Sack and Fox, Oto and Iowa blood running through their veins. Um, so about like cultural preservation and language, again, nothing was passed down. I didn't seek it out when I was younger. Nobody really like pushed it on me either. And now our Sack and Fox, the, our particular band, um, is about 400 members and they are scattered throughout the States. You know, I went back to a tribal council vote this past summer and I, w- that you had to have 40 people present in order for, to, for votes to be accepted. I was number 41. And they were like, nobody, only two other people came from like California, but a lot of the residents weren't even there to participate. And so it's, I'm not really sure what to think about it. I'm hungry for it. I, I want to learn our language, but I've also been told that we've lost our language. We don't have any drums. We don't have any regalia. We don't have any ceremonies. We don't have any powwows. It just seems like we're, you know, partial white folks holding down a fort right now, just trying just to survive. Um, and so that's a very stark reality for me, being last in my bloodline as an enrolled member for the Sac and Fox and knowing that my children right now will not be on a roll and are not considered indigenous, even though they are. Um, so it's, I'm a, I feel like I'm on my own, I'm on my journey of self-discovery. I want to go back. I want to, I want to learn. I want to dig. I, I want to get connected and by spending some quality time with, I believe it, um, she was a member of the Oneida Nation. Um, I was in a kitchen with just this uh, this other woman, and she was like, if you have three bands and one band still has their language and is much bigger, you know, you need to get connected with them to get started because it'll be like a similar dialect, and that's how you can, how you can get started, but you need to go home. So I'm on, I'm on a journey. I'm on to figure it out. Can I just say, Angelina, you teach your babies your language, too. That blood quantum, that is a colonizer mindset, and you should be proud of your journey, because I, I love you already, and I'm really, I think <laughs> Thank I met you. you at well, let me tell you something. We but just that, went to the Ganondagon Winter Games, and my son, he is very much, he identifies as indigenous, he is proud, and he is hungry, too, and, he, and it, we are very involved locally with different nations locally doing various things. So we figure if we can't go home and do this stuff right now, then what can we do while we're here? And so getting involved in the Indigenous People's Day Committee, getting involved with the Indigenous Health Coalition, going to the Ganondagon, you know, all, all it took was just a redirection to be able to see the visibility of Indigenous people. And it is, it is significant here. Mm-hmm. It really is. And my son, he, he is the student, but he's also the teacher. Mm-hmm. He was at the Ganondagon mm-hmm. this past weekend, and he was sitting behind the table, and he was engaging with other children, talking about the beaver's fur and the pump drill and how to make wampum. And it was like he was teaching me, he taught my husband, and then he was engaging with other young 
children who were feeling comfortable to be able to approach him and and learn from him. And he is just, he's excited. And he's been going back to the res actually since he was three months old because we continue that journey. You know, we have to go back once a year for medical reasons, you know, because that's how we can get um, prescriptions and stuff like that. But also to visit family. Then my grandma, she passed away in 2019. My brother passed away in 2020. And then in 2021, when we didn't go back, it was like, oh my God, this is, this, okay, we have work to do. So thank you for letting me share. Oh, thank you for sharing. Um, so connection of language and culture, I think it's just so powerful and it's, it's, probably the first thing people go to when they think about erasing history, right? Or a culture's history is you, you take away their, their language, their ability to speak to each other. Um, and I can only speak from, you know, the indigenous Mexican perspective and just how Spanish is just the overwhelming language there. And, and it's really just, um, it's really something to look down on if you are indigenous I think there's a lot of people that are Mexican that just don't identify or maybe don't even know that they're actually indigenous people because um, there's just that disconnect, you know, when the conquistadors came over and just wiped out all the culture there, they took away all of the indigenous languages, and there's so many indigenous languages. It just wasn't the Mayans and the Aztecs, you know. There was a ton of tribes, and, and I think I've, I've started to see the reemergence also happening with Mexican indigenous people to get reconnected and and you know, learn about their culture and, and find their culture and, and seeing it up here has been just really amazing. Um, cause I lived on the West coast for a while and just coming back to Rochester when, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you didn't hear about native Americans really. And, and if you did, it was like history. It wasn't as something as, as they were actually here still. And to be back and, and see this reemergence and, and this beautiful culture come back and the relearning of the language has just been, has been a gift. And I think it needs to continue to happen. Oh, thank you. Thank you to all of you. I think, um, shifting the conversation over to Benny's grandmother at this point, um, would, would be nice, would be a nice, uh, cohesive fit here. So if we wanted to talk about Florence, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying pulling in quotes from the director because I, I just, I feel like he really had a really focused vision um, when he got through the writing of the script and then pulling the um, cast together, um, you know, pulling in his co-producers and then being able to talk um, really from the heart about the film. He says that, the grandmother is living in Hoso, which is balance, balance and harmony, and that is Navajo culture, balancing that male and female, it's equal. And so to me, in the movie, it seems like Florence is living in Hoso while everyone around her is just trying to achieve this, this kind of harmony. And I was, I was wondering what your thoughts are on this. We kind of touched on this earlier in our discussion, but even when Don fried fried bread face see she mentions in the movie how she doesn't like to be called fried bread face and so it's hard for me to call her that that's why I keep saying dawn right uh when she when she comments about um living in hoso or not living in hoso you know I feel like that's by the end of the film I feel like that's the theme that's the overarching theme mm -hmm. there are so many themes 
But to me, that was like the theme. And how do we achieve that kind of balance and harmony when we talk about things like um, losing culture or losing language or losing traditions or leaving the res or staying on the res or um, we watch the grandmother doing things like washing hair and not cutting hair and don't use the white man shampoo and, and, you know, learning those things. What, what are your thoughts about the grandmother sort of representing that concept and watching everyone else around her sort of <laughs> looking lost? I think that alone, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to just jump right in, mm-hmm. but I think that alone showed that she wasn't necessarily as balanced as you would think, right? Like as a matriarch, her role was to ensure that the next generations retain and are set up for success. And and I think that's what she was really trying to do. So I'm not sure that she was necessarily in balance or felt that at peace. I think that she was concerned about her kids and her kids' kids and and trying to get them to the point where they retain and they're ready for the next generation. Interesting. She reminds me of a pillar. I know that I always have a place home when I go and see my mom. And I know my kids will feel the same way. And my mother is very, she reminds me a lot of the grandmother. My grandma, not so much. I'd go visit her, and sometimes she'd kick me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she'd be like, you got to go back to New York. <laughs> I need my peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. disrupting it. No, mm-hmm. but but I've, I've, she has taken me in several times when I've had no place to go, mm-hmm. seeking refuge. Um, and she, is, oh, she was there taking care of my brother and my brother's kids and my mom. And, you know, now my mom's helping to take care of my kids. So it just... She reminds me a lot of the of the women in my family. And as far as like living in peace and balance, it reminded me a lot of the Haudenosaunee culture of being in a good mind. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, I mean, life is just hard. Mm-hmm. Everything is hard. And our past is very, very hard. And so I think it just, it really relates to just being grateful and having a good mind and being, and, yeah, just being thankful. Mm-hmm. She did embody that, um, I mean, we see that when the kids are just getting dropped off, right? Benny comes, and then a couple days later, mm-hmm. Dawn is just dropped off with a garbage bag, and she's just like, you know, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just, come on, baby. We'll just, we're just going to work it out. You'll have a nice summer here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, so I, 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 I hear your perspective, Casey. So in that way, yeah. But then in the other way, Angelina, like, she sort of embodied that um, that place home, like in 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 and of herself. Mm-hmm. Like, you can always come home to me. Mm-hmm. And she even explained that in a way to Frybread when she was saying that Benny, he might not have been here, but he's family. He's your cousin, and mm-hmm. he's going to be here with us. Yep, your family. It's his home too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the grandma for me was very pivotal in the role. Uh, She was very strong, um, but you also felt safe. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a very huge sense of safety when when you're watching her in the movie. And and she was so subtle sometimes in her ways of teaching. Um, And I think it was having Benny and Dawn in her home just kind of was a way for her to pass down 
you know, all of her teachings, all of their history, and and have them, you know, kind of make sense of it and, and build it into their own life. And even though, you know, they may not live on the reservation for their whole lives, like Benny takes off at the end, he's always going to hold on to those teachings that he learned from her and carry it on. So it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she's an exciting character, too, um, from a filmmaking perspective and from a directing perspective, because we see this this role of the, of the grandmother passing down traditions right the weaving not cutting the hair washing the hair the foods they we have the whole mutton head on the table and benny's like nah this isn't going down right um the first laugh celebration right so the grandmother is who made um benny laugh for the first time too um of course i had to do a little digging on the actress who this was actually the first movie she's ever filmed and I, I do, again, This I promise this will be the last, it's not actually the last quote that I'm going to read from the director, but second to last quote because I thought this was just beautiful from a director's point of view. Um, he says his he, that was his relationship with his grandmother. He had no direct verbal communication with her. It was always through my mother, my aunts, or uncles, but I think that's what made our relationship really special. I would come to the res with a buzz cut, and my aunts and uncles would talk about it, but it was never a judgment with my grandmother. She'd be like, that's what we believe in. Sarah Natani, who plays the grandmother, really conveyed that so beautifully. That is her fir- first film, so my background as a documentary filmmaker for the past 15 years really helped me to tell her story. I told my camera crew, I don't care about her hitting the mark. I just want the camera to follow her. I wanted it to be this organic space that we were all in, that allowed her to tell her story. I asked her to talk about the importance of weaving, and she did. A lot of times, I didn't even know what she was saying because I don't speak fluent Navajo, but I just let her talk, and we captured it. And when I got it translated, I was like, oh, my God, this is so perfect. She was saying so many great things about Navajo culture, Navajo life and family that we could have included in the film, but we really needed to tie what she was saying into what Benny and Fry were going through. So unfortunately, we couldn't use everything, but it was a big part of the film's storytelling. And how brilliant is that, right? That you're actually getting, um, not only we see like the director's home movies in the film and, we, and we, we know that he's pulling from his own autobiographical information, but we actually get um, documented this history in the film itself. But it made me wonder in what ways... Do all of you celebrate your family's traditions and how are they passed down and who taught you? And we, we did touch on some of those points. But in thinking about who those core people are or the core ways, like if I turn to you, Maureen, and you're on a very interesting journey of self-discovery, you know, how would you reflect on that question? What would you say? Um. Well, it's been kind of complicated. So the first seven years I grew up in Mexico City, so I had, you know, my culture was there. And and even though I had a Caucasian mom, I I spent most of my time living the Mexican part of myself. And I didn't really get to celebrate my mom's Irish part until I moved here. So for the first seven years, I had this great, rich Mexican culture. And then, you know, from seven till like... I don't even know, 30-something, I was Caucasian and, you know, um, living the Irish kind of family, um, you know, system, which was really interesting. And so when my mom passed away in 2008, um, 
I started doing some DNA testing, and that's when I really found out um, that I was indigenous Mexican and Spanish. And so these past, I don't know, 15 years or so, I've been doing a lot of reconnecting with my indigenous Mexican side and, and trying to find out as much information and, and traveling back to Mexico after like not being there for 30-something years and trying to get reconnected. So I am very grateful for all the different sides of um, my history that I have, you know, Irish and, you know, my stepdad is Italian. So, you know, I have all these like great cultures. Um, and so I think I pick up a lot from my mom along the way and then just kind of making my own history now, I think, mm-hmm. just uh, finding out and incorporating it back into my life. Thank you. Can you repeat <laughs> the, que- the question was just um, just any commentary on how you actually celebrate your family's traditions, how they're passed down, who taught you. And I think, Angelina, you you already sort of touched on this, even with the story about your son. I mean, you were sort of throwing out there how you didn't get taught. And how are we going to pass these things down? And then almost in the same breath, you're telling us how your son is already teaching other kids. And I'm like, you are teaching your son, Angelina. <laughs> you are doing the work, right? So um, in a lot of ways, you've already answered this question. But if you if you wanted to offer any comments on how you celebrate your family's traditions, um, how they're passed down, how you're going to keep passing them down, well, as far as indigenous traditions, we don't have any that I know of except for hair. Mm-hmm. hair and that's only like a, a realization recently. Um, my mom always had long hair and she got cancer in 2013. And she said, I've always had long hair, but I don't know why I've always had long hair. I just always had long hair. And she cut her hair. I cut my hair. But growing up, my grandma always told me, don't dye your hair, take care of your hair. And she, she also was in like cosmetology too. And I'm now, I now work part-time in, um, in a beauty section of a retail shop. So I'm starting to learn about like self-care, hair care, all that stuff. But it didn't, it didn't dawn on me until I started learning like braiding sweetgrass was kind of like the introduction to that. And, and then spending quality time with, other women in different nations and even men, it just, it, 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 it was taught, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, this is native and this Uh, is why you do uh it. No, it was like, you just, baby girl, don't dye your hair anymore. Don't cut your hair anymore. Your hair is sacred. Your hair is beautiful. Just take care of it. And that was that, Uh but no, like why behind it. But now it's like, there's, there's a lot of whys that are starting to come up, which is creating a lot more questions that I just wish that my grandma was here and I wish that my my mom's like I don't know anything by this point you know a lot more than I do and now I'm learning from you but I'm it's like piqued my curiosity I want to go back like I said she watched the movie with me and then that like made her cry and so it just so you have these value systems that were passed down to you and these things that are sort of held sacred but you just don't understand yeah I didn't didn't know it and I just I didn't I didn't have a grasp on it but now I'm starting to learn I was going to add on, you know, from uh, from Courtney's question, she was talking about, you know, passing it on. And I was kind of struck when you mentioned earlier your son hanging out with everybody there um, and the joy. It sounds like he's got real joy in his participation. And 
while you might not have all of the immediate history to pass on, that joy is the thing that's going to make him want to pass that on regardless of roles, regardless of anything else than that, that joy of participation, mm-hmm. the joy of being a part of something. He, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, with our first Indigenous Peoples Day, when we celebrated it here in, in 2022, he was there when the flag was raised. And then he ended up getting a um, 100 on a spelling test, and they put a congrats with a Columbus Day sticker mm. on it. And I that had taken a really long time, like about a week or so for me to... You know, digest, how do I reach out to them? How do I, how do I approach this teacher? You know, what do I say? So they, because it's a predominantly white school and I also don't want him to get targeted, you know, treated differently. But I go and I pick him up from the after school program and these, his um, teachers and they're telling me that he is sharing the things that he is learning. He's like, no, I saw the flag raised. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. I saw the Haudenosaunee flag. It's not Columbus Day. So he's like... He's excited, he's sharing it, and he's not afraid. Whereas when I was in his school at his age, I, I mean, I was told that I was an Indian princess because I come from a long line of chiefs. And, you know, when you're five, six, seven years old, you hang on to that, you know, you go and share, you get excited. But then people started calling me Pocahontas, Squatting Bull, Wapaho, you know, and it was, I, I shut down and I didn't want to be Native anymore. And I had that all throughout, all the way up th- into college. And then I even questioned, like, am I Native enough to say that I am? But I know that I am. And I, I just love the fact that, you know, he can carry that now mm-hmm. in a positive way. Yes. And it's, the struggles are never, it's never fully in vain. And you get to see, see that next side of it. And it's, you know, it's, it's heartening. To see the next, see the next generation want to be, yes. want to be involved, yes, and grow and learn from, you know, some of the separation that might have been there. Thank you. And I really want to um, ask you this question, Casey, as the matriarch in your family. Mm-hmm. So, how, what ways are you celebrating your family's traditions, and how are they being passed down, and how, what is your role in that? Oh, um. Well, as a, uh, Angelina, we have to do one sometimes because <laughs> we have very similar experiences. Um, only when they told me, like, my babies wouldn't be enrolled, they wouldn't be Indian. I just didn't have babies then. I'm like, all right, fine. Like, my babies won't be Indian because of blood quantum. So my babies are my brother and sister and my nieces and nephews. And um, I ensure that we go to powwows and that it's a fun thing. I don't make them wear the buckskin because that's hot and uncomfortable <laughs> for babies. Um, but we enjoy drum circles and we spend time with our family. Like that's where we get the most is going back up to the reservation. Like I, I really struck me, Courtney, when you said that he had the, had her just talk and, that's the thing, like spending time with my aunties, you never know what they're going to say, but it, there's always wisdom in it, right? Like even if they're being smart and they're being jerks, because my family kind of we got smart mouths on us, but no matter what, there's always wisdom and there's always love at the root of what they're saying. So spending that time with family is so important and just making sure that my sister and her kids like get up to the reservation and get to see our cousins and 
And I remember growing up because my grandma passed away when I was really young. Um, not really young, young enough. And her just saying, I remember saying, that's your cousin, that's your cousin, that's your cousin. So making sure that they get that same experience and that they know that they have cousins and that they have ancestors and they have a rich history, no matter who tries to take that from them. Thank you. So I do have one last question, of course, accompanied by a quote from the director. Um, but, but after all, this is representation in cinema, right? So a question being, um, this question was actually posed to the director, but I do want to pose it to all of you. The, the uh, director in in a a recent, um, article, uh, featured in, um, Glad was asked, what would it have been like for you to see a film like Fry Bread Face and Me when you were younger? And he says, That's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to be a filmmaker. I just never saw myself on screen. I think that would have shifted my perspective and outlook as a Native kid. The images that I saw of Native people were the ones with the big nose, the ones on Tom and Jerry or the Redskins. It was very barbaric and savage. The younger generation deserves to see themselves. I think I'd have to agree with that. I don't think, number one, I don't think I would have paid it as much attention to smoke signals came out, I think, in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was mm-hmm. like, so mm-hmm. my brother is 10 years or was 10 years older than I am, and my sister's 13 years older than I am, and my, and my younger brother's just one year younger. And I think I watched that movie with my older brother, but I, like, it just didn't, just didn't hit me. I mean, the car, the red car looked very familiar. And that reminded me a lot of like the junkies that my, that my brother would be fixing up. But um, I just don't think that it would have struck me the way that it did. And I don't think I would have paid attention. I don't think I would have even wanted to see it because again, I was ashamed when I was younger as a child. And yeah, we went back and forth to the res, but it wasn't like I was sharing that with anybody. Yeah, I'm going home. I'm like, yeah, I'm going home, going to Kansas city. That's where I'm going. But it just did Angelina, do you think though part of that was because of the lack of representation in the media? Probably. I mean, th- I think it was media. I think it also is around me. Right. I grew up in a predominantly white suburb, and the only indigenous people that were there were my family. Mm-hmm. And I it, I didn't even I didn't even know about Haudenosaunee. I mean, yeah, they they told us that. I mean, I remember seeing like Seneca cigarettes and like ads on in on our reserve at our trading post, but none of it really clicked. Yeah. 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 Casey, do you do you want to comment? Oh, um, yeah. This was a tough question to think about because um, similar to I mean. I wasn't allowed to watch Smoke Signals because the, I don't know, there's content or whatever. I was a little sheltered as a kid, a little bit. Um, but, like, the most representation that I had was Tiger Lily and Peter Pan. And oh, that's like, wow. the most racist, indigenous, like, representation I could possibly imagine right now. It makes me sick. I'd never let my nieces watch that. Mm. But that's what I had. Like, so, being... And that's where I said, Angelina, like, we have very similar journeys. I went through a huge phase of not wanting to be Native and not just wanting to fit in, right? Like, I think as kids, we just want to fit in. Mm -hmm. And moving from a res school 
to a predominantly white school and having I talked funny and um, and then I get taken out of class because Niagara Falls did this thing, which is a really nice thing. Like I, I say this now and I feel like I'm going to be complaining about it because, but it, the intent was good, but they pulled all the native kids out for an hour a week to teach them culture. Great in theory, but the only person they had to teach was teaching Cayuga and none of us were Cayuga. I had Tuscarora teaching, like I was pretty fluent until I moved to the city, so that's why I had a, an accent. And then when I moved to the city, it was just, I talked funny and I didn't, and my aunt and uncle came in to talk about native culture when we went through that like fourth grade thing. Uh -huh. And then that's weird, like I was just, it was weird, right? I was weird because I was native, I was different. So I went through a phase where I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be the same. And it, that's around the same time when my grandpa said that to me. It's just a whole lot of childhood, right? And I think it would have made a huge difference to see actual representation and actual, like that living room scene, that's any time I get together with my aunties, we're all just bouncing off each other. And that seeing that would have been so much more powerful, some positive representation and now I'm getting emotional. Hmm. Yes, it was my turn. Thank you, Casey. Uh, yeah, yep. Um, I think I can identify with both Angelina and Casey and um, how I never really identified as Mexican um, when I got to the United States because, you know, I, I, you know, I got off a plane and I had to stop speaking my language and had to you know, try to blend in as best I could with a Caucasian mom and, you know, this little brown kid running around. Um, <laughs> so I think uh, I spent a lot of my time not wanting to be Mexican or indigenous, and it wasn't until fairly recently that I became proud of it. Um, but I think it would have felt just wonderful to have that representation or, or to just have, you know, people around me that looked like me. I spent so long, you know, growing up in East Ronaquite, which is mostly very Caucasian. Um, so, yeah, I think it would have made a big difference. Can we talk just a moment about Jeff Bridges? <laughs> <laughs> I love Jeff Bridges. Me too. I love Jeff Bridges. We, yes. This is the, the I, 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 this is the weirdest pivot ever? Or? No, Jeff Bridges is a character <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Okay, good. We talk about representation, but this is like when we talk about children and representation, if we had seen the movie, but also I think if we had seen dolls mm -hmm. or toys. Yes. Um, so mm -hmm. they, so Fry Breadface's mother made a doll, um, tried to make a brown doll and had a, a cabbage patch head put on it. And the only movie that they watched, I forget the name of the movie. Starman. Okay. Oh, yeah. It had Jeff Bridges in it. Awesome. So that was the name of the dolly. Awesome. Um, but just this past weekend, I, my daughter, she's six and I'm looking around, I'm looking at her, her Barbies and they've got dark hair, darker skin, dark eyes. And I'm like, and I, I look at my sister. She's, she looks, she's also, she's Swedish too. Um, so she, she got the blonde hair and the light eyes. Um, but we're just as much indigenous as, as, so, um, and I looked at her and I was like, I do not remember seeing Barbies like this or wanting a Barbie like this. I remember wanting to be blonde hair like, or light hair, light eyes, just like the dollies and not having anything. But now it's, it, it is, it's very different. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny though? Because I remember the same thing. Like I wanted blonde hair and blue eyes and not my beautiful long brown hair and brown eyes. Like, and now like I'm in a season where I love who I am mm-hmm. and my brown eyes are beautiful. Like, why did I ever want blue or green? Like, I don't understand. Because that's what I was shown, right? That's yep. what we saw. Well, even those of us with green eyes wanted a blue eyes too. So it was quite the epidemic <laughs> at one point, right? But um, I think right? it's so wonderful to hear all of you um, touching on some very vulnerable parts, points in your life and, and pieces that you hold on to. And then to hear all of you say that you're, I know those of us um, in the podcast world can't see Maureen and Angelina nodding in agreement with Casey, talking about how she loves where she is in her life and and happy with who she is and proud of her, um, you know, her culture and heritage. But that is what is happening in this room around me. So it's a beautiful way to um, sort of close out this podcast and and uh, reflect on everything that we've learned. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts. Um, and does anyone want to give any final comments about the film or the representation of uh, that was served by the entirely indigenous cast of Brilliance. I am so grateful that you, first of all, you asked to talk about it and that you're making a podcast. Like, so this came out in November and I immediately, I watched it like the (laughs) the next day and then three times and then, but I haven't had an opportunity to talk about it with anybody or anybody like bringing it up to me or wanting to. And it, and when you look at like comments and stuff, like I, I started going through the comments on social media just so I could feel connected to other in, other people, other indigenous people and how they were feeling when they saw it because it was like, I, I can't, it definitely was different um, talking about, um, uh, oh my gosh, I, <laughs> what is the movie that just came out in Apple? Oh, Killers of the Flower mm-hmm, Moon mm-hmm. versus Fry Bread Face and Me. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a lot more chatter and people out there to talk about this. And I really, really wanted someone who also wasn't as indigenous to, to or indigenous at all to speak with me about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just super grateful that you asked. Yeah, and well, thank you. We're we're very grateful to hear from all of you as well. Um, Casey, I've been putting off watching it, so this made me watch it. I really appreciate that because I was a city skin, right? Like I lived on the city, and I'd go back to visit my grandma in the summer, and I was Benny. And so I saw it, and I'm like, "Oh, that looks good. Like maybe I'll watch it." And I'm like, mm, "I don't know. Maybe it'll be too much." But it was good. It was a good experience to watch, and I appreciate you having me, Courtney. I really do. Good. Glad. I'm glad to hear that feedback, Casey. Um, and I hope that others will listen to the podcast and be encouraged to watch the film too, because um, it did have a lot of positive, positive feedback in all of the reviews, and um, and I'm sure it will continue. Um, it's just a great film. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, uh, and uh, last uh, last plugs. Uh, so, uh, uh, Native Made, uh, how can people find the market when it pops up? So, Native Made, our mission is to increase Indigenous visibility, and we do this through uh, marketing and collaboration services. And each year, we have a market on Small Business Saturday. And so, right now, you can go to the website nativemadehq.com. Or you could visit our link tree, Native Made HQ, and get all the information there. But it'll be on November 30th, location TBD. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Representation in Cinema. And now, the outro. This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Go watch the movie. Go watch it.